卵の殻を破らねばヒナドリは生まれずに死んでいく我らがヒナだ卵は世界だ世界の殻を破らねば我らは生まれずに死んでいく世界の殻を破壊せよ Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Shadow Play Gaze, a podcast about the 1997 anime Revolutionary Girl Usuna. As always, I'm your host, Christine Talon. And as always, I'm joined with my friend, who I would slap if he forgot who he was,、uh, Derek Reining. Wow, thank you so much. That means the world to me.、Um, and I hope you also would have a big shade eating grin after I hit you right back. <laughs> Yeah,、uh, that's absolutely. Like, that's like the best part of the, 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 that episode. Yeah, <laughs> that, like that, that like, little screenshot of her is fantastic. I don't remember it at all, but、um, she's fully jokerified in that moment, I think. We, we are constantly tracking the moments in which、uh, characters on the show become jokerified, and we're only going to get more and more jokerified from here on out. <laughs> <laughs> the jokerification so, of Otori Academy. Exactly. So, we are on the last two episodes of the first arc of Revelationary Girl Usuna. So, we are going to be talking about episode 11, Graceful and Ruthless, the one who picks a flower, and episode 12 for friendship, perhaps.、Um, we easily could have done these as separate episodes because there's so much to talk about, but I find that it's hard to talk about the first one without talking about what happens in the second one. So, we're doing them together, and it's going to be really fun. This is a great, like, two part little kind of wrap up to this arc,、um, and there's going to be a lot to talk about. Absolutely, yeah. Like you said, there is a lot in both of these episodes, but I think、um, it's hard. Yeah, it would be weird to sort of end on that note,、um, especially as we're trying to like wrap up. Like, it feels like these need to be paired together、um, mm-hmm. for it to make sense. So, I'm very excited to talk about both of them. So, do you have any notes for our listeners for either, both of these episodes? Because I think we can. We'll, we'll talk about the first one, the second one, but there might be a little bleed between the two, so we can just do everything at the top. Right.、Um, I think, you know, just in terms of content warning, I think、um, there's obviously like a, some violence. I think、um, there's a moment,、uh, I forget which episode in particular, I'm sure we'll get to it as we talk about it, when、um, Toga is very、um, physically sort of like imposing over Utena, and she's just like kind of in a Catatonic state. I don't know. So, if you're just like,、uh, if so,、uh, like, a, I don't know. If that sort of situation makes you uncomfortable where someone is like invading someone else's personal space,、um, I guess that's something to look out for in these episodes. But otherwise, I don't know. Can you think of anything else that stood out to you that was particularly upsetting? For me, I'll talk about this in the second episode. The second episode like brings up a lot of like. Uh, gender feelings for me, with like,、mm. and, like so I will, be t- I, I will be getting a little personal about like gender stuff. <laughs> um So,、yeah. just a heads up that, like uh in this episode of the podcast in particular, I think I'm going to talk about that stuff because I think it's relevant to what's going on in the second episode. Absolutely. Like you said before, the whole thing smacks of gender. It, the whole thing smacks of gender. I'm d- convinced uh Drill uh, made that tweet um <laughs> after watching Utena. <laughs> I would think so. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, for the credits at the top for this episode 11,、um, so the storyboards on this one were done by、uh, Hiroshi Nishikiori and Shingo Kaneko, who had both previously worked on the Mickey episodes. And this episode was also directed by Shingo Kaneko. And then the screenwriter for both of these episodes, I'm really fascinated by this. So, the, the screenwriter for both these episodes、uh, was Kazuhiro Umura. 
and he wrote these two episodes of Utena, and these are the only credits this person has. These two episodes of Utena and nothing else. So I don't know if this is a pseudonym that like hasn't been traced back to someone, or if this person literally just woke up, wrote these two episodes of Utena, and like went back to sleep. Um, so if anyone knows who this person is, I'm now like very curious um, as to what the deal is here. Um, so yeah, those are credits for this first one, and then once we get into the second one, I can uh, start at the top. But let's get into it. Yeah, um, yeah, that's interesting. That I, I would assume it's just, like someone's pen name, but you never know. I yeah, uh, <laughs> like it could be someone who's just like I'm gonna write two really good episodes of this anime and then dip. <laughs> right. I mean, I that's the I think that's the move, honestly. <laughs> get out so, while you can. Yeah. So we open on uh, Utena and Wakaba eating lunch outside in this first one, um, and Wakaba has made the lunch um, for both of them. And like Utena brought her own, like kind of like it looks like she's something you'd like get from like a vending machine or something. <laughs> it's something I grabbed in plastic. And Wakaba is like very insistent that um, she eat what she made because she made it to show her love for Utena. Um, and then she like tackles her, and they roll down the hill together. This is this whole scene's just so cute. <laughs> it's very adorable. And we get like there's like a heart on the rice. It's it's so so cute. Um, and they're in love with each other. Mm-hmm. Wakaba. I see. One of my notes is Wakaba gay as hell. <laughs> Literally for all that, like it's so adorable. Oh yeah, um, she sends. I said that because she like sends the little heart through the air, and that's and that's that gift that Uta like watches a heart go by. That's when mm-hmm. I said Wakaba gay as hell. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, for that and many other reasons. Yes. Um, but uh, Auntie shows up with her own massive box um, filled with, <laughs> as they describe it, fair food. Because they got, like, a full layer of takoyaki, they got a full layer of yakisoba, and then whatever the hell Juju ate at the bottom. And he's wearing a little crown. like. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love when Uta just, like, sees Auntie show up with lunch. She's like, please tell me it's not shaved ice. Because we've had this, we've, like, we've gotten this picture. We don't see Auntie make shaved ice all the time, but, like, we know she, like... That Utena lives in fear of Anthe once again making shaved ice. <laughs> um, and I love when Wakaba is like, asks Utena, like, well, what were you expecting? And Utena's like, let's not even get into it. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it must be so, tra- I mean, you would think that Utena would, like, bring this up to uh, Wakaba. It must be so traumatizing having to eat the shaved ice that she just like, has never thought to even speak of it to anyone else. <laughs> And then Toga f- completely harshes the vibe because he's watching them with his little opera glasses with Nikki- Mickey nearby. And he says, I'm looking at a lonely princess. And they're like having the best time of their lives. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, how can I just absolutely just sour whatever is going on here? Um, and I think it's interesting, though, that he doesn't really specify who he's talking about, at least in this moment. And Mickey assumes it's about... Uh, Utena and Anthe, or either one of them, I think. Um, but we do, like, we get this, like, little shot of the glasses sort of going over each of the girls in turn, including Wakaba. So I think it's interesting that Toga, I mean, he kind of, re- he refers to Anthe as a lonely princess later, I believe, in the second episode. But in this particular scene, he doesn't really specify who he's referring to when he says he's looking at a little, pr- or a lonely princess, because he's looking at all three of them. Yeah, they could all be lonely princesses, because they're all princesses without... Uh, a prince uh, I think like that's how he would define a lonely princess princess who does not have what he be- like someone like Toga who is like a rightful prince 
Um, and Mickey's like, I don't see it, man. Like, there's no very good time. And he says, you can't see it. Only I can. And then Mickey says, you're, you're talking about an illusion. Um, and Togan says it's quite real. But, um, you know, we've had people, uh, you know, the the trick of the light with the castle, you know, the sword. You know, we've had talks of illusions with the, the castle and the sword. Um, but now we have one uh, with regards to, like, how Toga views them, views other people. It's like being able to see an illusion. Right, yeah. This idea of illusions, mirages. But as we saw with Sionji, supposedly illusions are, are can be very solid sometimes. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting. And again, Toga doesn't really specify what he's seen in particular um, in this moment. And it's it's not quite clear what he means when he says that only he can see it and Miki can't. Like, why can't Miki see it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. Is it an age thing? Is it uh, being a weird old creep thing? Like, I don't know. <laughs> maybe you have to be super creepy to see whatever he's seeing. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe the opera glasses allow him to see. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, he's actually, um, there's like, a, it's those, what are those called when you like, uh, those like little kid toys that you like go through slides in those one of those like viewfinder cameras yeah i was gonna say they're like prescription opera glasses <laughs> <laughs> yeah miki has an astigmatism um that's what toga is referring to um but then toga decides to just completely harsh the vibe by walking in in like a horror movie ass entrance framed by white roses and like utina like camera like zooms in it's like very much framed as this like deeply upsetting event like toga coming um and like the girls are flocking to him um and wakaba calls him the prince of the student council we're getting we're really getting hit over the head with everyone sees toga as a prince in this episode and this is when utina flashes back to when he saved her in the last episode uh the last episode or was it two episodes ago two episodes ago yeah. yeah gosh um and she's like which is, the wheels are still turning in her head about, you know, is he her prince from before? Um, yeah, it, I, I love the way that this, that moment of um, Toga saving Utena is like, the way the show is treating it, it's, it's like a very traumatic moment for Utena. And, and even, like, obviously last episode, she was kind of consumed by it completely. Um, this episode, like we see, she's like able to have fun still, uh, with her friends, but as soon as he shows up and reminds her of it, she kind of goes back into that sort of dark space that we saw her in for the majority of last episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I like you said, I noted also that Wakaba calls him the prince of student of the student council, which I don't think we've heard anyone call him that before. No. Um, but it's just like, I don't know, that's the vibe I guess he gives off when he's literally just flocked, like all these women are just like flocking to him. Or I shouldn't say women, girls. They're high school middle school girls that are mm-hmm. surrounding him um which is interesting uh yeah and then i believe is this uh we get a student council meeting here with all the balloons, balloons. <laughs> i feel like this is where the, the the symbolism starts getting ramped up at the student council their budget their prop budget went up um <laughs> yeah so we'll talk about first like what's being discussed and then we'll get into the, the balloons um so this the con- topic of conversation is just toga telling them that nanami lost and jury insinuates that nanami losing was his plan all along um and he denies it and says he was just taking care of his sister mickey's like oh like a cat which is just kind of interesting because we had lots of cat stuff last episode and then uh toga says even if someone does lay a plot it's the victim's fault for falling in it um and jury says how cold 
And so as this conversation's happening, we see first a red balloon and then a blue balloon and then an orange balloon, then a green balloon, then a blue balloon again, then a yellow balloon, and then a bunch of different balloons. <laughs> so these are all the colors we associate with our like main characters who like aren't Utena. So like red for Toga, blue for Mickey, orange for Jury, green for Sayonji, yellow for Nanami. Um, do you have thoughts on the balloons themselves? Like what does this object, could what can we, can we read into this object? That's what, <laughs> this is kind of a struggle. Because all I can really think about is like, oh, someone, it's someone's birthday on Twitter is what's happening here. <laughs> um, one of them, yeah. <laughs> I I mean, obviously balloons, I think we associate with birthdays or I guess just celebrations in general. Um, and I guess maybe thinking about what Toga, Toga's like kind of on top of his game in this moment. He's like, all of his plans are going well. Um, I don't know, and knowing what's about to happen by the end of the episode, you could almost see this this meeting as, like, a bridal shower, or, mm-hmm. like, um, this is sort of, like, the party before the quote-unquote wedding between Toga and the Rose Bride uh, that will come at the end of the episode, or the engagement. Um, I do also think it is, it almost is, feels like they represent thoughts or ideas because like every it's at first they like one will float by as a character is like saying something um and i think the most noteworthy moment is when miki makes that pet cat comment um a balloon floats by and there's like a very profound silence for i believe miki times it. it's like six seconds i believe yeah, he, he, his timer stops are six seconds and then another one is 12 seconds uh, i don't remember what the second 12 second one was about I think um, it's maybe like six seconds, 12 milliseconds, maybe is what he was trying to say in that moment. Okay. Um, I think maybe he was like <laughs> timing that um, pause there where Toga just did not say anything. Um, at least that was my reading on it. But I think maybe it's just this idea of everyone in this scene is kind of talking around thing. No one's really showing all their cards in this moment, I feel like, like, I think Jury, like, heavily implies she, like she, like you said, she straight up is, says, like, oh, you, like, planned all this. So clearly she's on to Toga, um, but Toga's not willingly admitting that. He's, like, straight up denying it. And I feel like maybe the balloons could almost be this idea of, like, something very precarious that could be popped at any moment, sort of these facades that everyone has. Um, and as the, the, they begin, I don't know, as the characters continue to lie the balloons sort of like start to fill the air um obscuring stuff i don't know i feel like there's so much you could read into balloons um but also pretty colors we yeah it was just nice colors yeah like the the one thing that jumped to my mind was yeah the idea of like something that's very easily punctured um and the fact that like balloons you know can float up into the sky but if they meet something um if like a bird would have fly to it into it or you know if you were just to pu- puncture it it would pop and be destroyed. So kind of the, yeah, the fragility of these facades potentially. Um, mm. Yeah. yeah and like you said, that makes sense because like you said, there are all these colors that we associate with particular characters. Um, and three of those characters are here talking in the scene. And yeah, I think that's definitely one, but it's also worth noting balloons. They will pop eventually, like no matter yeah. what. The closer they get to the sun, they're not, they're very ephemeral. That's mm-hmm. uh, a big part of what balloons are. So I think that's maybe 
that's I think your reading I think is maybe the number one sort of way we can interpret this uh this idea of the fragility of whatever the sort of peace or whatever is going on here between these student council members like clearly some tension is starting to rise between at least jury and toga and Mickey's just also there sometimes Mm -hmm. i'd like to take this time to apologize to our listeners i'm really close to like an 80 pound pit bull right now and he's starting to snore um so if you hear strange noises that's what's happening but he's (laughs) very cute um (laughs) so what does the snoring represent yes yes jean-luc what do you think um (laughs) he's watched a lot of utina so so he's like seen every episode almost so um you know he knows what's going on um no spoilers okay (laughs) so um uh then the next scene is we see Utina in the hallway with all the arches we're familiar with this hallway and he see she sees Toga in the rose garden talking to Anthe and then we cut to in the rose garden he's complimenting Anthe's flowers and he's like oh I saw you eating lunch and Anthe's like oh it was really fun like I, I'd like to try making lunch but like Wakaba did and uh, he scoffs at her the idea of her cooking and she kind of looks sad and he says her job is to stay in the birdcage and tend to the roses you are the lovely little bird that lives within it. I wish to make this cage my own, and I would never let you out of it ever. Um, Toga's like very like aware of what he wants, and like he's like not afraid to be very like he's kind of like trying to hide his intentions with Utina more. But it feels like with Anthe, he's like he feels like he can just say it because he views her as being this you know docile, malleable thing. Where he can outward say, this is what I want. I want to keep you here because I know you'll do it. Yeah, he knows that one, she won't, apparently, like we, as far as we know, she won't put up a fight. And I mean, I think these episodes show that uh, as far as the Rosebride stuff goes, she like really wouldn't be able to put up a fight. And um, yeah, he just, I don't know. And maybe it also is just a way to dishearten or discourage Abdi, just to remind her that there's someone in (laughs) a great deal of power who just wants to control you and he is going to like he plans on doing that um yeah like she's able to enjoy freedom now but while she is utina's possession as he views it um but that you know that that freedom is uh dependent on whether utina utina can keep winning like you know and as we see in this episode it just as easily can happen um and Utina like sprints it's funny she wasn't that far away but she sprints over and she's like breathless like she's really it's really close by but um and this is Utina like goes off on him it's, you can only see Himemia as the rose bride she's just an ordinary girl named Anthe Himemia and she Utina's like rapid fire like t- talking and she like asks Anthe if she hates being the rose bride and tells Toga to tell her how she really feels and Anthe obeys she tells um toga she hates being treated like the rose bride and toga laughs because of course she would say that as he says Anthe is your bride she is going to act in your in accordance with your desires mm-hmm. yeah and it's interesting that uh Utsuna, like feeds Anthe these lines like and these are ideas that we i don't think have, i mean we've never heard Anthe express those ideas before um, and I feel like it's Utina and uh, Miki are the only two characters who have like sort of proclaimed this in place of Anthe. Um, it's interesting that those two characters in particular really just can't understand why anyone would ever like want to be in Anthe's position. Um, and I think maybe that could imply that they're the two characters who are the most 
um, the they desire the most freedom. Maybe maybe that's what mm-hmm. that indicates is um, that they just can't even fathom the idea of like why would anyone want to be so uh, under the thumb of any sort of um, structure like this. Um, but it's it's I feel like this is maybe the first time Uta has like reckoned with that or even really noticed it. Like, Utena only assumes that Anthe says what she means all the time, because that's what Utena does. Because <laughs> she, <laughs> she, she doesn't, I don't think she's capable of doing anything but saying exactly what she means at any given moment. Um, so, once again, this is another a continuing theme of people just projecting things onto Anthe, um, because she doesn't really present much of a personality, supposedly, at least to these people. No one seems to have a good grasp on her personality, so they just, like, put one on her. Mm-hmm. And, and and then Toga's like, oh, I actually really came here to see you, Uta, because he's talking, the scene starts like talking to Anthe, but it, if knowing Toga's, like, mastermind machinations, he was probably just talking to Anthe to get Utena in the, in the uh, Rose Garden. Um, he was probably very aware that Utena was perhaps watching. Um, and she's like, I, I came here because I have something important to tell you as your prince. Um, so he's been saying your prince is someone like me. You know, he is, was a guy like me. Uh, but now he's outright saying, I'm telling you something as your prince. And she, this like triggers the flashback of the prince and the world kind of like falls away. They're both like bathed in light and this kind of like in like surrounded by shadows, you know, and there's the white and pink roses spinning in the corners. And he recalls when they apparently met and he says she was crying Um, and she asks if it was really him and he offers proof and his proof is when he leans in to kiss her. Um, but he, he doesn't kiss her, but it's as if he does, like it has the intended effect. Um, and like, so, so when he says she was crying, I don't think that was a detail jury gave him. That's not a detail that Utina gave jury. I think he's just like, he has the basic story and is able, he's like, I know how the story girl goes. A girl is sad. She gets saved by a prince. Um, so he doesn't need all the exact information. He just like knows, okay, I need to act like a prince. This is what princes do. They save girls in trouble. Girls in trouble usually cry. So he's able to fill in the blanks himself. For sure. Yeah. It's very much like when, uh, mediums will be, uh, I'm getting mm. the name with a J like, I'm just like, whatever yeah, cold the reading. Yeah, yes, exactly. Um, yeah, like you said, probably a safe bet, a young child who is upset is going to be crying at a given moment. Um, and But it's even then, maybe she, even if she hadn't been crying, uh, I wonder if maybe in that moment Utena would have been like, wait, maybe I did, I was crying at the moment. I feel like that's kind of, this memory she has of the prince meeting is like so nebulous, I bet. And I think Toga probably knows that, that he, even if she hadn't been, I think he knows that no matter what, so the reaction would have been the same. Like, he could have convinced her that she had been crying at that moment. Um, and what I found interesting about the scene is that Anthe seems really uncomfortable in that moment, um, just, like, sort of standing there watching. Um, anytime Anthe has an expression is <laughs> noteworthy, I think. Um, so I think it's definitely worth um, thinking of, like, I feel like so much is said about Anthe lacking um, her own independent thoughts in these two episodes, and yet I feel like these are the two episodes so far where she has the most to say, I feel like. Yeah. Um, it has a lot of expressions that are independent of being observed by anyone other than the audience. Um, so I think that's, I, I love that contrast that they've set up in the, these two episodes where um, 
it's almost like the auntie herself is kind of disproving this theory that we're getting from a lot of the characters here, which is this idea that she doesn't, <laughs> she can't express an idea without being told to do so. And yet this is like one of the first episodes we ever hear her actual internal thoughts from her. Uh, but that's later in the episode. So don't mm-hmm. want to, I guess, get too ahead of us. Uh, yeah. And then, and then Toga challenges Utena to a duel. Um, he's like, you know, it's a discreet for two duels stack like that in front of the Rose Bride. Um, and he challenges her to um, to, to duel her for Anthi. And and then we cut to it, like Utina back in the dorm room and she's kind of reflecting on Toga and her prince. And she's like, well, like, I forgot, like she forgot Toga was a duelist. <laughs> like <laughs> she was like so caught up in that moment about him being a prince. Like she kind of like maybe let her guard down and like didn't expect this. And Anthi has made them tea. And, um, and uh, she asked how she liked, uh, like the lunch and Utina says it was good and that Wakaba liked it too so I guess like you know like they, they've got their cute friends now and and um this is kind of brings up the conversation again of like Utina being like hey you should like make more friends like you know you should hang out with Wakaba more and and then Anthi looks sad again like the last time Utina's brought this up and Utina's immediately like oh yeah you have Choo Choo like he's as fun as 10 people right like Utina's like even though she's still kind of like pushing things on Auntie. She's gotten a little better at like knowing when to pull back at least. Like she's like, oh yeah, never mind. I forgot you have Choo Choo. He's as fun as 10 friends. <laughs> Which is true. That's just a fact. But then Auntie does say, I wish I had more friends as she looks at her reflection in the tea. Yes. And I've definitely noted that that feels like, um, I feel like so much of the show is like trying to parse out what Auntie's like, what auntie says is is which which of those statements are genuine and this to me feels like a just a genuine expression of the what like a desire like utsuna does not say you want more friends she doesn't like force it out of auntie like toga does a lot of the time um it just seems like a like you said like auntie takes a moment she sort of is reflecting literally reflecting like you said and she says yeah i would like some more friends um and so I think this is this little moment here kind of disproves what Toga's like just full hypothe- hypothesis that we get at the end of the episode, which is Auntie can't think independently. She just does what she's told. Like this is just one of uh, quite a few different moments in these episodes where Auntie has her own thoughts. She clearly is her own person with emotions and desires that are outside of whatever the Rose Bride is supposed to be doing. Um, it's just that maybe she can't act on them. Um, so I think this is, this, these important, these episodes are really important to establish that Auntie is a character in the mm-hmm. same way everyone else is a character. I think it's so easy as you're watching this episode and taking each episode as it comes to you, you kind of can be convinced that Toga is correct here, that Auntie doesn't have her own thoughts, that she is just like this husk of a person, but she... No, like, no, she has her own thoughts and everything. Um, yeah, and, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's hard, oddly so hard to read as a viewer, especially, just, like, if you're watching this for the first time, but if you pay attention, you do get these glimpses, and this whole scene is, is really sweet, because Utena's like, you know, you will have more friends, anyone will like you if you open your heart, um, and they share a sweet moment where they both smile at each other, and, and this conversation, like, really, gets Utina going again. She's like, this, I'm going to protect Anthe and turn her back into a normal girl. The idea of a normal girl is <laughs> really loaded on this show as we get <laughs> into in the next episode. So Utina's still meaning well, but like 
the language she's using is very loaded within the context of the show of like what it means to be a normal girl because Ucha is certainly not a normal girl she thinks she's a normal girl she says she's a normal girl but yeah it's just again really everything on the show is so loaded but you know she says I won't give her to anyone not even my prince um this is the first time she's like putting something in a pertinent in this case Anthe above her prince it's you know, yeah Anthe has become more meaningful to her than her prince I think that's um, something that happens like before that conversation is Utina like is looking at her ring and she says, I wish I didn't have this ring. I think this is maybe the first time we've seen her sort of stop looking at the ring as like the thing she got from her prince and she's seen it for what it is, which is like a symbol of being a duelist in this game, Rosebride, whatever you want to call it stuff. I think it's clearly upsetting her that Toga has kind of corrupted this beautiful memory that has inspired her for so long. He's made it, he turned it into something bad or something that she considers a curse almost, where she just doesn't even want this huge symbol that's motivated for her for like as far as she can remember. Um, So I think it's just, I don't know, the show has a lot to say about, I think, the way in which uh, someone with malicious intent could turn something really beautiful, like a great memory you have into something really bad and something that can be used against you. Um, mm-hmm. So I think I just think that little tiny scene where she wishes she didn't have the ring anymore is like really profoundly sad when you really think about what that what she's saying there. Yeah. And speaking about thinking about what what she's saying, we got to think about what these shadow girls are saying. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'll do our little overview of what's happening and then we can break this down. So the we have the father putting an apple on the son's head and shooting an arrow at it. The son says, good shot, daddy. But this was the uh, 37,919th time and asked how long he'll keep it up. And the dad says, "Can't we can't stop until a doctor stoppage is called. And then the son says, you can't let that nobleman, can't, can't you let that nobleman let you get out of it at least once? And the father tells the son to stop thinking for yourself. And then the girls say, what is the destiny of William Tell and his son? Now an internal archery machine. Um, I don't know what's up with doctor, a doctor stoppage. That's the one thing I have no clue what that means. I, because I think, she, does she say stop in, like, English? I did not make note of that. I don't know. I think it's maybe just supposed to be, like, a jokey, like, I'll stop when a guy who's literally named Dr. Stop shows up or something mm. like that. Maybe that was my read on it. I, I don't, don't know. know if the phrase apple a day keeps the doctor away exists in Japanese. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> um, maybe I don't know but I mean the, the main thing here is that I take away from this one is like we talk about like a lot of like cyclical imagery in this show um, and the idea that they're an eternal archery machine um, of course the word eternal is something that we in eternity is something that has come up in the show this idea that William Tell and his son are forever continuing to act out the same thing over and over uh and it's not just anything, it's shooting an arrow at the son's head. Like, at any time, we'll, he could miss and kill his son. So I don't know what that might say about um, the kind of... Oh, gosh, I, yeah, the, I, I didn't take notes on, like, my, my meanings. I'm really going riffing right now. I don't know if you have thoughts. <laughs> um, I think the most noteworthy thing in that scene is when some, uh, the father says, stop thinking for yourself. Mm-hmm. Is what he says to the son. I think that maybe is supposed to be our hint that um, 
whoever the archer is supposed to be, the son is Anthe in this situation. They told, you know, just stand there and take whatever is being thrown at you. This is what you're supposed to do. You're here. You're supposed to just sit there and let <laughs> these arrows fly at your head. Um, and uh, I, I think that's kind of the at least for me that's kind of what it would represent i think that's sort of like the lesson from the shadow girls here um but i think like you said there's like this idea of like cycles um going on for like like you said thirty-seven thousand times something like that um but i think that's really my full take unless there's more to the william tell story that's like yeah even more i didn't I should know. Isn't that a Swiss story? I lived in Switzerland. I should know that. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> I believe. Yeah, I think so. Um, but I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> we can um, leave it at that. I think. I think I have more to say about the second episode's shadow. Shadow oh, plate girls. So <laughs> we can, we've got a lot to talk about. So I'm I'm not gonna lose my mind over William Tell. Um, so <laughs> this is the up this the Mokushiroku is interesting because this is where we actually see Utsuna walk into the arena. Like we see her go up the stairs and we see her in the arena and other times we've seen this, but we see her like walk up the last stretch of the stairs towards Anthe. It's a different perspective than we've ever seen in this scene. And they both hold out hands and like touch hands. Um, I think to me, this might symbolize that like, this is like maybe the first time like Utsuna is actually fighting for Anthe. I feel like with like, with all the previous duels, she's just like, why is this person dueling me? Like, I just, like, <laughs> she's kind of like, jury, Mickey, like, what what gives? But this feels like the time where she's, like, I am, she's finally fighting for something and not just, like, on defense. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and I, they smile at each other, too, like we said, um, which is, I think, yeah, I, it's, uh, I think very it's it is very intentional on the show's part to like make this like almost the sweetest like pre-duel stuff between Anthe and Utna because we're about to see them just literally torn apart here. Um, and yeah, I think it's just like you said. I think Utna is fighting for Anthe here, but like we noted before in that scene, maybe she still. I mean, still's not quite getting at, like. I don't know, like, she's still projecting a lot on Anthe, even though it is, like, she's doing it for Anthe, it's, I don't know, is it really all, all for Anthe? I don't know. Absolutely, this is the episode where she's projecting, like, because, like, Anthe is, like, I do believe that Utsuna does genuinely care about Anthe, absolutely, but, like, Anthe does end up in this episode becoming, like, and in the next episode, becoming a symbol of something, and the ep- next next episode in particular, Anthe, yes, she does want to win back Anthe uh, to pay able to hang out with her again and be close to her again but also because she's taking back what she was in the second episode and here it's you know it's not quite as 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 loaded but it's like yeah she's like in fighting for Anthe she's fighting for on the image of Anthe she thinks can exist if she's free uh, and like she can be a normal she's fighting for the idea of Anthe being able to become this normal girl which you know Anthe has been expressing, yeah, she does want friends, but yeah, Utsuna is still, her view of Anthe is still Skewed not quite there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so she's got the spirit, you know? Make yeah, sure she's trying. She's growing. We, we're really hard on her sometimes. Like, we love our girl. You know, she's, she's super, there's, Utsuna is nothing but well, well intended. Like, you know, she is, she really 
wants to and tries to be a hero. Uh, but even heroes lose sometimes, as we see in this duel. Um, so like, I, I noticed that like Uta looks kind of pretty scared and uncertain as this duel starts. And he Toga unsheaths his sword and says uh, he has to take her precious bird from her, referring to Anthe. And Utena charges at Toga, and he he basically starts giving her advice on how to duel. He's like, don't hold back, you know, like, um, you know, do this. And he calls her amateurish and charges at her. And there's lots of emphasis on how sharp his sword is. I think I try to, like, avoid the, like, phallic symbol of the sword and Utena just because I don't think it's particularly meaningful a lot of times. But I do think with the Toga duels, there is something to read into the way he talks about his sword and wields his sword. Um, and the emphasis that's placed on his sword. Oh, absolutely. So you will get there in episode Like, I'd two. rather not, but, like, it's, this is, these are the two episodes where it does feel most um, pertinent to discussion. Absolutely. And I think it is all, also important. I was, um, like, I don't know, before we started talking, like, doing this, I had never really thought about the swords themselves, but I think it is interesting that Toga has a katana, like a straight-up katana, um, and I don't know quite what that represents, um, since obviously a katana is like a, it's a traditional Japanese sword. It's founded in like Japanese culture, um, which is like interesting given that he's supposed to be this prince and like uh, it's a very sort of European idea of a prince. It's, it's kind of what's been represented or like presented to us in the show, like on a, a horse in per, like uh, traditionally European garb like that's very like, like yeah like Hans Christian Andersen like you know exactly. kind of very western fairy tales yeah right so it's interesting that Toga who's ostensibly he's like claiming to be the prince and he's like straight up saying that right now like now he's not even trying to like be co- like cagey about it he's saying I am your prince mm-hmm. to Uchina, and yet he's like wielding the sword that really has nothing to do with being a prince at all really uh mm-hmm being a samurai is really what a katana would be associated with um and so yeah he's i don't know he's giving her advice and it's clearly very patronizing because i think he knows he's like the way he behaves and pretty much the whole series up to now he knows he's going to win this duel like that's Mm -hmm. just like given like there was never any question that this is like the outcome of this duel at least for him i think utana probably knows that too um but she's still willing to put up a fight um, I think it is, I mean, he kind of tells her how she's going to lose the duel at the beginning. He says, um, those who fight with compassion lose their lives. Um, and then he ends up literally using that against her and she falls for it. Um, when he does the sort of surrendering mo- like moment, just, um, knowing it would trigger that flashback and yeah. Yeah. Like action. he, he took to does the prince. I saw he does a prince pose um and that's what like knocks her you know off her game that like he doesn't have to like really beat her he just has to get her to stop fighting for a split second mm-hmm. and it's a cheap shot like you know she was she stopped charging at him um uh, but he knows you know he is like isn't actually a prince he's just a guy who knows exactly what to do to give the impression that he's a prince and he weaponizes that and he's able to do that and and hurt Utena and get what he wants. Um, he's very aware of what he wants and he's very aware of how to get it from Utena. And yeah, the way she just kind of like stumbles past him and he cuts her rose and just like uh, the petals blowing in the way, the same way her hair is blowing and just how defeated and dazed she looks. And the sword of Dios disappears from her hand. 
Um, and before we get into the end of this duel, we kind of we can look at the duel song a bit. I didn't have like a, as much to say as I did with like you know like Jury's duel and McKee's duel songs. Um, there is like references to the Iron Mask of Misfortune. Um, and the man in the iron mask was, is, I don't know all of the details, but he was like a French prisoner in like the 16 or 1700s whose like identity is unknown. Um, he wore like a, like a mask made of metal. Um, so facelessness, um, and yeah, just again, another song that's evoking the passage of time, but they, it's like time and age, they never change perhaps like the cyclical nature of things. Um, and yeah, another part that evokes like a mask of word, a mysterious sword, a mask of words, and their origin is you. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. That's what those. The, my notes were just masks and nature. There's like one little stanza where they talk about like rabbits and hills. <laughs> this is like evoking sort of nature imagery. Mm-hmm. I, I think, it, like, I don't know. This is definitely one of the more like generic songs, um, but I do think it is worth noting that of all the characters i think toga is maybe the one who has the mask on the most but he knows how to take it off at the opportune Mm. times he has the most control like over when that mask comes on and off um and so i think it it's significant or it makes sense that the this would be sort of his dual song this idea of the mask um and particularly the iron mask like you said because i would assume that that like man intentionally sort of wore that to disguise himself. It wasn't something that maybe was forced on him. Um, like a lot of these characters, I think, are forced to wear masks whether they know them or not. Um, whereas with Toga, everything is a lot more calculated. Um, but yeah, I, I like you said, that's about all I have on <laughs> on the dual song. Um, exactly. We we have so much to talk about this two episodes, so we don't you know mm-hmm. no pressure to um, sorry. John looks being really cute. I <laughs> gotta get him on the third mic. I'll get him a mic. Oh. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, this ending of the stool is just crushing because she, you know, asks him not to take Anthea away because she just wants to be a normal girl. And she's like, I don't need the power to revolutionize the world. I just want to help Anthea. Anthea needs me. She wants to make friends. She'll be all alone again. And then Toga feeds um Auntie lines he asks her if she's happy being a, the rose bride and she says yes as she just kind of stares at utina she says she likes being alone and togo again says kind of reiterates what you said earlier like Auntie is the bride of whoever wins the duel and she was just following your commands uh the wish to make her a normal girl was merely your own wish um and now that you've lost the duel you have no connection to her forget about her in the duels and ugh, heartbreaking uh, yeah. Utena's, Utena's response, this is just heartbreaking. Yeah, I, and I think Anthe, I mean, obviously we kind of laugh when uh, this happened to Sayonji, um, when suddenly he's Sayonji Senpai again, but I think this is just that scene, but like infinitely more crushing and terrible to hearing Anthe call her uh, Tenjo-san. Mm-hmm. Like, just like complete uh, unfamiliarity you're just this classmate to me, whatever. She kind of puts on that sort of auntie face that, like, it's not the genuine smiles that she's been giving Utena in this episode. Mm-hmm. It's that sort of, like, close eye, like, she closes her eyes. It's, like, just a very, the smile she gives everyone. Yeah. Just, like, whatever. It's very, 
just it's a mask if we're talking about masks right now. And if um, you think about like how much Utena hated Anthe calling her Utena Asama, like now like her calling her Tenja San is like crushing. You know, absolutely. like she's she's probably like sad she's not calling her Utena Sama because that's there's now this distance between them. Um absolutely. and yeah, she just falls to the ground in tears and keeps screaming, it's not true, and she's got this like on the like best best of clip show playing Literally. in her head. <laughs> we get a couple of those these episodes, like Auntie's greatest hits. Yes. <laughs> like it's so sad and like yeah, but um I yeah, I this could have worked like you said as its own episode, but I think obviously it's it's good to like have this sort of like intense sadness here because like that pervades for most of the next episode. Um I think it's just like it hits a lot harder when you, and I think it's probably your natural instinct when you're watching the show is like you don't stop here. Oh yeah, like, you can't, like you can't stop here. Like you have to know how this ends and like yeah, it's yeah, such a great. Gonna, yeah, this is not gonna be like oh okay, I'm, uh, that's enough for today. Like you for sure like what's gonna happen next? Like this is we're on episode eleven of thirty nine. Like this can't be the way this ends. I have to see how Utena gets Anthe back or whatever. Like something has like this can't be it. So, mm-hmm. um. Any other concluding thoughts on um, the first half of our... I, I'm, I keep calling it a finale in my head. It feels yeah. like it's one finale. No, I think, yeah, it's just... I I, rem- I do think it is, like... I don't know how, like, first time... Any of our first-time viewers might feel, like... I do feel like it is shocking that Utena loses to Toga. Like, even though we get this build-up to it, when you just think about it, and the fact that she's our main character, you know, she's been winning all these duels, like... It is like, you know, for this to happen, it is still a shocking when it does happen. And I appreciate that. And God, yeah, this, I had forgotten how crushing I remembered how crushing this the second episode was, uh, but I forgot how crushing this this ending was. So I'm glad we're not ending on that because it's like, yeah, it would have been a bummer to end on. But I think more of my thoughts will be kind of when we talk about both of them as a whole at the end. So for sure. Yeah, I think um Maybe you go into this and maybe you think, oh, this is going to be the first time Utena stumbles, like really, really stumbles in a duel. But you maybe think some like maybe there's a technicality she'll get off on or like you just don't assume that this is like the main relationship of the show, Anthe and Utena. You don't think that's just going to be severed like this. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, let's talk about uh, for friendship, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, so. Storyboards on this one were Nagashi Tare, who I, it appears to be the pseudonym of Ta- Takashi Sagobe, another pseudonym. It was the only episode of Utena he worked on. I didn't really recognize anything else. Um, and then this one was directed by uh, Toru Takahashi, who we talked about before because he directed 10 episodes of the show, including the premiere, and also directed the finale. This is another Evangelion alum, directed a few episodes of Evangelion. And then again, written by the mysterious Kazuhiro Umura, who only wrote these two episodes. Uh, so yeah, the, 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 t- at the top of the episode, we just get that kind of replay of, of what just happened, of Utena's rose being cut. And, but there's some new dialogue from Toga in this scene that he didn't say at the end of the last episode where he says, even though you fancied yourself a prince in the end, you're just a girl. You couldn't make your hopes reality. Um, well, this is a good chance for you to be a normal girl, isn't it? Um, which is just, uh, makes me... Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll save my thoughts on this until we get to the scene with like actually oh, of like Utena's like wearing the uniform. But God, yeah, crushing. Um, it's just how, how much this episode, these two episodes, just really make you aware of how much Utena's identity is tied up in 
was first tied up in the idea of being a prince and is now tied up in this the duels and now tied up in her relationship with Anthe and now she has lost Anthe she's lost a duel and by losing a duel she's lost her kind of identity as this like princely figure so like who is she she's a normal girl yeah um he according to Toga Toga tells her like now you can be a normal girl just like you wanted um but I don't think she's ever really I mean she's said she she assumes she's a normal girl in that one scene (laughs) where she loudly yells it to everyone with an earshot um, but I think there's a part of Utena who knows, like, she doesn't want to be a normal girl. She wants to be a prince. Um, and so I think maybe, like we said, she starts out the series being very confused <laughs> and remains confused for most of it. Um, but she just is very, like, perplexed by the, this whole Rosebride deal. Um, she seems very uncomfortable by the Utena-sama stuff, like we said, um, but, like, yeah, over these past ten episodes, she's developed a genuine friendship with Anthe. But also, I think a big part of it is Anthe was kind of her her princess that she was looking for this whole time. Like, if she, this is kind of the closest she's gotten to being a prince. Um, and so it's not just that, like, it's just Anthe that she's mourning. It's she's mourning what she may think is, like, was her only opportunity to be the prince she always wanted to be. Um and so naturally she kind of goes back into the coffin as I, I I noted in that one episode, she's like kind of in a similar position. She's curled up. Um, she's on a, the top bunk bed. Um, and she's like, which is very close to the ceiling. So she, her, again, her instinct is to become very physically small and to go into like a sort of enclosed space, um, in the dark usually. Um, and, uh, I think, it's uh, cute that we're kind of seeing Wakaba. We're seeing that moment in like one of the, it was like episode two, episode one, something where Utena is like trying to comfort Wakaba after the Sayonji letter. It's it's kind of like a role reversal here, where um, Wakaba's first instinct, like Utena's, is to like kind of be goofy, funny, play it off, like oh you're sick, I'll help you. Um, like, um, but unlike that episode, I think. <laughs> Um, things get a lot more serious. Let's see later. <laughs> yeah, U- Utena is depressed. Utena is like despondent. And and Wakaba, God, this episode, if you don't love Wakaba by this episode, I don't know what's wrong with you. She's the only real one. Um, and yeah, so she like sees the, the, the Utena's like, Utena's like torn uniform and asks like if she can fix it. And Utena's like, no, I have another uniform. I don't, like, did we see like Toga like cut her uniform or was that like, did she like in anger rip it? I don't think we, mm, the implication is that we that happened it. when he's, I don't think we like physically see it like happen. It, like there's no attention drawn to it, but I mean, Maybe you could just assume it's it, she got it from the same cut that got her rose or yeah. something like that. Because um, we don't really see that in super uh, detail. But yeah, I, I always forget that... Th- like, I forgot that she dressed in her quote-unquote girl uniform this episode. I just assumed when she said, I have another uniform, she was, like, just going to have... <laughs> like, any other cartoon character, she just has a closet full of the same outfit. <laughs> um, but, I mean, it's, like, of course that's what she means when she says that she has another uniform. And I think maybe Wakaba pro- probably had the same thought process as I did. She's, like, <laughs> I don't think she ever would think Utena's going to show up in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, but I do also want to note, though, 
um, before we, I guess, move on to the next scene is that when Uta has a flashback to Auntie and Choo Choo with his little bag. Oh, yeah, his little bag. Lots um, of Choo Choo and his crackers this episode because the bag is full of just crackers, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's the big reveal at the end of the episode is that it was full of crackers. Um, but, yeah, in that scene, we have flashback, we get Auntie framed by white roses, um, mm. which is interesting because it's almost like it's not her decision. It's the quote unquote prince's decision that she's leaving. Mm. It's uh, yeah, I, it would be auntie is usually associated with, I don't know. Does she have a rose color? Red? Uh, if I can recall, maybe the, no, not the green ones. No, no. Cause it's, it's, it's red when she, we, we've definitely seen her frame with red before. Um, like when we first saw her in the, like the, with the, in the rose bright outfit for the first mm-hmm. time, she's for sure gone red. And she gets red in the next scene when, um, uh, Utena and Wakaba run into her. She gets red, right. um, but she doesn't have her own like distinct color. Cause Toga also gets red. Toga gets white and red. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I think it is. Yeah. Noteworthy that it's white roses that frame her um, mm-hmm. as she's leaving. Um, and so yeah. But then we get to the reveal of Utena walking, um, and it's almost like another parallel to the pilot episode when she shows up in her. Um, her regular uniform that we see her in all the time, but I, it's the look on her face is so devastating. Yeah, and and it, she gets the same response from people as she did when she wore the dress at the ball. Um, it was like all the girls being like, "Oh, I like her." Like, oh, one of the girls says, "I think I like her best this way," because with the with the dress, everyone was like, "Oh, she looks even cooler than she does when she wears her her um, boy's uniform," um, and. Yeah, it's the same response. Like people, it's the spectacle of her doing something different. Uh, but the enforce- reinforcement in this one is that it's best for her to dress like this. Um, and this, you know, Wakaba notices the outfit and notices people responding to it. And Utena says, it's normal. I'll always wear it from now on. And she hears Auntie say hello to her and she like freezes. And this is where we see Auntie framed by red roses. And Utena says, hello to Anthe, who calls her Tenjo-san. And Wakaba looks between them, like, like she, like, has no clue what's going on. <laughs> like, but she can, like, sense there's some sort of, like, the girls are fighting. Um, <laughs> but she doesn't know what's up. And and they just have this brief exchange. And Wakaba and Utena watch her leave as Chuchu is snacking on a cracker. On, but he's sitting backwards on her shoulder. Like, I don't, uh, like, he's I don't like, know what to make of that. Like, He's not yeah. facing Utena and... The thing about Chuchu in this episode is that he seems like he doesn't do any goofy things. He's he, only he's chewing just up eating. Dinner. Yeah, and yeah. he has like this like blank expression on his face. Um, it's I don't know. It's almost like Chuchu is like speaking for Auntie mm-hmm. in this moments where like maybe she can't express how like despondent she is too, but Chuchu can for her. Mm-hmm. Like he's just gonna have a blank stare and chew on his crackers. Like, whatever. No more goofy choking. No more <laughs> just, like, silly choo-choo antics. Um, but I think it's interesting. Uh, Wakaba says to Utena, she says, it looks like you like this uniform. Um, when, I, when she first said that line, I thought maybe she was being genuine. And it was, like, misreading Utena's expression. But I think given that she, like, clearly understands that Utena is not happy wearing this uniform later on, I think maybe she's saying that sarcastically here. Mm-hmm. Um, she, I think she's maybe the only one who can see the look on Utena's face and like recognize that she is miserable right now. 
I mean, yeah, when we look at, like, and we'll get to this later, the two characters who, like, help Utena find herself again, it's Wakaba and Juri. Juri giving her sword, which I'm, I cannot wait to talk about Juri giving her sword. <laughs> I, like, I have, like, a whole paragraph about that. Uh, and, yeah, Wakaba is able to see, I, I do agree, I think Wakaba from the get recognizes this is not normal for, for Utena, as she'll say later. Yeah. Uh, but first we got to go student council. Where Toga's like he seems to have just called this meeting just to brag. <laughs> Literally. He's like, so me and Anthea are engaged. Any questions? And Mickey's like, I have no questions. Um, um, I just have statements to quote the great Sue Hawk from Survivor. Sorry, I just, <laughs> he doesn't say that, but as I started saying that, I realized I started reciting snakes and rats. Um <laughs> Uh, but Juri wants to know how he won. And she's like, you seem to prefer plots. And so we have to remember that Juri is the one who accidentally or intentionally, but I don't think Juri meant for this to happen. But she narked on Utena by telling Toga about the prince. And I think my read on Juri in this episode, um, in this scene, is she has a hunch that he was able to use this prince thing against Utena to win. And that's the only reason why he won. I think jury feels like he kind of cheated um, by he, or he played dirty. Again, we've noticed that jury's big on the rules. Um, she's a stickler for the rules. And I, I think she, what I love about this show, one of the many things I love about the show is how much is left unsaid about characters, motivations, and their thought processes. And we don't hear Jury say, like, you know, what she's thinking in this moment. And we don't hear Jury explain why she gives her sword to Utena. But my read on Jury in this episode is that she feels partially responsible for Utena's loss and um, doesn't like that Toga played dirty and kind of manipulated Utena in the way he did. For sure. Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense to me. I think I've never really, like, noticed, like, maybe the guilt aspect of it. Um, but it may also, like you said, may may not even be guilt. It may just be, like, I gave up my most valuable, like, chip in, or my most valuable card in this game to an opponent. And he used that to win. Um, mm-hmm. So now I I kind of have to, like, even the playing field back out for me. Because um, I, I think you can tell that Miki and Jerry know that Toga could beat them, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think for Jury, but she knows she can be Utena. She knows she yeah. can. So of course it makes sense that she's like, well, I know I can beat Utena. I don't think I can beat Toga, but I do think Utena has a chance to beat Toga here. So mm. I'm just going to do whatever I can to like position them in that, um, in such a way where I think I have the best chance of winning this fair and square in her mind. Um, I do. The scene is also very funny. Like you said, like this idea of he just called it just to like brag. And I do also love that Miki and Jury are just like very like not having it. Like <laughs> neither of them are looking at him. Miki's like writing. He's like doing homework. Jury's like reading a book. Um, they're like refusing to even acknowledge what's going on. They're just like playing it off cool. Like, oh, um, how'd you do it? Like, you know, just whatever. <laughs> um, and I literally, the scene literally ends with Miki, his hands over his ears. Yeah. He does not want to hear anything that Toga has to say, but they're playing, trying to play it so cool. Like who cares? Whatever. Um, I just think that's so funny. And it's like, it just speaks to how the continuity of the show is just so vital because like knowing how important those duels were to these characters and then to see them reacting this way to like a, another character, like succeeding where they failed it just like adds a whole other layer of like meaning and humor, but also like sadness, like to the way they're reacting to the current situation. Mm-hmm. 
and, and the most like, the important exchange in this scene is when Toga says, I played the part of the prince and rescued the lonely princess. The stories always end with the prince and princess together, right? And Jury says, we haven't reached the last scene yet because that comes back later. Um, Jury's reading a book in this scene. I don't know what bo- if she's supposed to be reading a particular book. Um, I think it could just be any book and it's getting at this idea of like, the, like this like kind of like meta comment uh, commentary on like the narrative the idea of this like being aware that like the episode's not over yet like you know the story's not over yet when she says we haven't reached the last scene yet we haven't reached the last scene of this episode the last scene of this show yet um and just again like she's reading a story um i don't i don't know if that book is supposed to be a specific book i couldn't find anything um but. yeah same i didn't uh look to see if they translated it or anything but the first thing I thought of when I saw this curly redhead reading um, a book was my first thought was a survivor <laughs> thing of oh, uh, Cass reading uh, how to win friends and make whatever before. <laughs> yeah, how to whatever. Win friends <laughs> and like manipulate a, people or something. Like, um, sorry to literally everyone, like probably over half our audience who don't give a shit about Survivor. But to those of you who know exactly what I'm talking about, it was very that. <laughs> Um, oh my god but we can move on from that (laughs) (laughs) yeah oh man um so then we get this next scene um uh where it's Utena and Wakaba lunch and Wakaba's still trying to talk some sense into Utena um and Toga shows up with Anthi and says uh that uniform really suits Utena and he asks Utena out on a date and has his hand on her shoulder so this is where I'm gonna get it um into my personal stuff so uh, like I have like didn't think about it previous times I had watched the show and but this time when we watched the ball episode and then when I watched this episode I realized that um this kind of like hits really close to home for me um so like when I was in high school I I went to a few different high schools my third high school I went to I transferred in halfway through my junior year and I joined like uh, the the GSA and I made a good friend through there and he 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 was bisexual, but he had a, he had a girlfriend at the time, and and his he and his girlfriend uh, broke up. I promise this is getting somewhere, um, <laughs> but this is all important. He and his girlfriend broke up like right before prom, and he asked me to be his date to prom because we were friends. Um, and I was excited to go to prom with my friend, and I was excited about what I was going to wear. And then he, um, quickly told me I had to wear a dress because he wanted uh people to think he like he wanted us to look normal. I can't remember the exact words he used, but it was something to the effect of like wanting us to look normal at prom. He didn't like want people to, like think it was weird if I was like wearing because like I would have worn like a button up or a tie like I would have or I would have like wanted a suit or something I never like you know gone to like a formal event and and dressed the way I wanted um and I did it and there's pictures of me wearing a dress and um I didn't think much like I, I remember being uncomfortable with having to do it but I didn't like really come to terms with like how like upsetting that was to me until a few years ago because it was like I felt a few years ago like like when I like around when I like cut my hair and like I was like that was like, really fucked up <laughs> that like my friend made me do that um but like you know I you know I I'm not friends with him anymore I, if I was still friends with him I'd probably message him and be like hey that was fucked up just so you know <laughs> um but for me when I think about it it was like the thing that was most upsetting wasn't the actual like article of clothing like it wasn't the actually like, wear, wearing the dress it was the fact that like when I wore the dress it was like the way people like people like oh like it, it was that like spectacle was like oh Christine's wearing a dress like this is so different and and it was the fact that I was very uncomfortable with being 
you know, I identify, looking <laughs> really in my gender, I identify as butch and I am, I'm like, my gender is like, I suppose I'm a woman. That is how I was described. I suppose I'm a woman. I don't feel really strongly tied to like womanhood. Um, I feel more strongly tied to being butch. But um, I was really uncomfortable because it was like the dress made it feel like I was like more playing like the social role of like a girl, which is a role I've never felt like comfortable playing. And like, it's, you know, I suppose I'm a girl, I'm a suppose I'm a woman, but it's like really, really uncomfortable to be perceived as like something that I don't feel myself. Um, and so like these, this scene with like Toga asking Utena out on a date and feeling like touching her and like being like, you look better like this, just like really like hits me. Um, Personally, I definitely project on Utena a lot. <laughs> um, like I'm guilty. Um, but yeah, that this scene in the ball scene, because it's specifically like going to a school dance uh, and Utena, like wearing the dress and feeling uncomfortable with the way people are looking at her. Not necessarily the article of clothes, the object, the dress itself. It's the way people look at her, make her uncomfortable. And that was very much my experience. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's I, I don't think you're overly projecting at all. I feel like that is like the way you described your this the thing that happened to you feels like very like directly what the people who made the show are trying to talk about are those kind of maybe not like those that like particular situation um but i mean that is like i don't know it's very similar situation but it is also like speaking to anytime anyone has ever felt like they have to play a role for someone else um and but unfortunately for I don't know, I feel like this scene is really uncomfortable because um, Utena, they're not friends. And um, maybe you were willing to do that for a friend in mm-hmm. that moment. Um, that's a different situation from this, where Toga knows that it makes Utena uncomfortable to be wearing this. That's why he says that looks nice on you. I don't think he genuinely, I mean, he might genuinely think that, mm-hmm. but that's not why he says it. He says it because he knows it's hurt, like it hurts her to even mm-hmm. be wearing this. Um, and he knows probably everyone else has been saying this to her too. Um, and so I think it's just a really upsetting scene and it's very upsetting that Usna just like, is not even responding. Um, and I think, but to me, the, like, the most upsetting thing to watch is Wakaba's reaction. She's like screaming at like mm-hmm. Utena, like do something and like screaming at Toga, like stop touching my Utena as she says, which is so cute. Um, yeah. Like, she just is so upset about, like, watching her friend, one, feel the need to, like, put on this uniform that makes her uncomfortable, two, to sit here, just take shit from this asshole that she, <laughs> in any other any other day of the week, would not be doing this. She'd be throwing um, hands. Exactly. She's seen it happen before. So she's like, what are you doing? Um, and so, of course, she's going to literally, I mean, we talked about this in the last episode, like, she feels like she's not being heard. And so her reaction is like, I'm going to physically do something to make you guys stop. Um, and then, though, a whole other layer of this whole scene that gets added where the water hits Anthe of all people. It doesn't hit either Toga or Utna. It hits Anthe. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Wakaba, instead of, I mean... I forget. Does she apologize at first? So she apologizes. Okay. And she says, I'm "Sorry, but it's all your fault." Like, like, yeah. like she's like, she does apologize. Like, and she's kind of like, clearly didn't actually. I don't think she meant for the drink to hit uh, 
Anthe, but she's like, sorry, but it is all your fault. Utsuna is this way because Anthe and you two had a fight. She's so, like, Wakaba doesn't actually know that. That's not, Wakaba, we need to remember, Wakaba does not know anything about the duels. Like, she does not know about the, like, all she knows is that, like, Anthe and Utsuna are roommates. And, like, they're, (laughs) so it is reasonable for her to think that they had a fight. Um, But, yeah, Wakaba doesn't know what's going on. And so, yeah, the the chain of events is, you know, Wakaba throws the water at Anthe. Utsuna slaps Wakaba. And then Wakaba smiles and slaps her back. And notice who's not the subject of any blame or violence in this scene until the very end, it's Toga. Um, Everyone gets blamed or hits each other or gets hit with water except Toga, the one person who's responsible for all of this happening. Absolutely. And that's the privileged position of the prince. Yes. (laughs) He gets, and I think it's also worth noting, like, it's very intentionally... Like, it's clear that Toga leans back and lets the water hit Anthe. He knows mm-hmm. what's happening. He sees it coming. This is, I feel like we're kind of like, like they're doing a really great job of sort of um, reiterating some stuff to like really bring it home. These ideas that we've talked about before, like you said, this idea of everyone throwing fault to everyone but Toga is like a thing we've seen before. Um, and also now Toga is doing. Um, I've talked about this before. He's doing the exact opposite of what a prince should do. A prince would stand in front and take the water splash, not Mm -hmm. lean back and let it hit someone. But he does it because he knows that it's just going to further isolate everyone from each other. And it's going to keep the blame off of him because he knows no one's going to point to him and say, hey, why didn't you like stand up and do something? They're just going to keep fighting with each other because that's what he wants. Um, I just that whole scene is just like so sad for everyone involved except for, for Toga, that asshole. <laughs> um, <laughs> he sucks. He does, and it's just like I don't know the expression on Ati's face when she's like just soaked in water is so sad, especially when we're being like reminded of the ball. Mm-hmm. The last time she got sprayed with like uh, something was um, when that happened. It's so traumatizing for her, and that time and this time, Utina isn't there to make her a nice little dress with a tablecloth she's Utsuna's not her prince anymore Toga is and Toga's the kind of prince who just steps back and lets you get hit with water and doesn't say anything um yeah I just it's it's sad but I do like we said the slap um moment is really fantastic when we see Wakaba like sort of that grin on her face yeah Um, it's a great it's a great image (laughs) it is because you can tell she's like that's what she wanted. Finally, this is the Utsuna she knows and loves mm-hmm. is the one who's going to, even if it's like she's slapping her because um, she's like coming for Ati, um, she at least is doing something. Like, I believe that's the word she uses, like, is at least she's reacting to something finally. Yeah. Um, like, you are still capable of like emotion and react, responding. Um, and, and even though it is no longer on these prints, she, uh, she still does give Ati her handkerchief. To dry herself off as, as Anthe starts to, like, leave behind Toga, you know, Utina gives her this gesture of, you know, in a handkerchief with her initials in it. Again, like, a piece, you can see it's a piece of herself. Um, it's her handkerchief that she gives her. And Utina tells Wakaba, like, stop criticizing me. You can't, you don't understand. And Wakaba's like, I won't stop. And just, like, runs away. <laughs> She's like, I don't understand. And I'm not going to stop. <laughs> that is... I think we all need a Wakaba in our lives. Yeah. Um, so then we get to Anthe and Toga in the student council tower alone, and Toga's on the phone with someone, presumably some girl he's dating or seeing. Um, and he leaves to go meet her, and he's like, "Okay, Anthe, you can wait for me." And then 
Anthe looks across the table, and this is one of very, very few moments we've ever gotten, if not the first moment, where we see something from Anthe's perspective, like from her eyes. It's very, and she's imagining Utna there, smiling at her, and she looks at uh, the initials on on the handkerchief and just looks at it. So again, like in you know, the last episode, we saw her looking at her own reflection and being like, "I do want friends." And this episode, we get her um, looking across the table and like, I wish, she doesn't say it out loud, but she's wishing Utena was there with her. She misses Utena. She's not supposed to, though. She's the Rose Bride. She's supposed to just be happy with who she's with, but she's not. Yep, exactly. And I, I love that. I love that this the show itself leaves no room for interpretation. There's no <laughs> there's no heterosexual explanation for this. Like, um, like... She genuinely misses Utna, and, um, like, Toga is wrong. She may not be able to express it because she, for whatever reason, she feels beholden to the Rosebride um, mantle or whatever, the title. But we do, like, it's it's there in the text. She genuinely misses Utna and wants to be with her in some regard. Um, and so I, I, I forget that we do get those moments of, like, genuine, independent like thought from Anthe, like for whatever reason during this like the beginnings of the series i i always just remember Anthe maybe as the version that toga wants us to see of her which is the rose bride who like you can't tell one way or the other whether she actually like wants they has wants or needs but i this <laughs> this episode leads no like room for interpretation in terms of yes Anthe is a person with her own feelings and she misses utna um, who wouldn't, honestly? Honestly, Uta, like, <laughs> seems like, I think she seems as fun as ten friends. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He, she, she and Choo Choo, that's why they get along so well. Yeah. They that was so the life fun. of the parties. <laughs> um, and so then I believe uh, we, we get another shout out to Edina Cracker, blankly, as his, his, is so sad. Speaking of sad things, sad images, just little Choo Choo, personality-less Edina Cracker. <laughs> Um, but then we see Wakaba kind of connect the dots here in this next scene. Um, yeah, because they're, like, in front of the wall with the two red roses on it. And, you know, Utena, like, tries to apologize to Wakaba. And Wakaba's like, you, you can't get out of this just by apologizing. Um, and, yeah, this is where she's like, it's Toga's fault, finally. Someone has realized it's Toga's fault. And Wakaba's also like, yeah, I don't understand anything. Like, first of all, I don't understand why you changed your uniform. Yeah, um, and it's it's it is gratifying. I mean, Jury obviously knew that um, this, uh, but it's gratifying for another character to like independently realize it. It it feels very like I don't know when like the detective like cracks the case or whatever when like finally <laughs> like, like Scooby Doo like, like it, it, it was very, Toga. <laughs> it was Toga, um, but I do love that she also does note that she still does not fully understand what's going on. She still does. I mean, she. I mean, it's fair because she doesn't have all the information. Um, it's, I, um, it, it is very similar to, um, like, Buffy is what I think of always when it comes to, like, these sort of, like, there's characters who are in the know, and there are characters who are not in the know, and Wakaba is not in the know right now, but she is such a good friend that she doesn't need to know all that. She just needs, she just knows that Toga is the problem, Utena and Anthe both seem to be struggling with something, and she gives Utena the best advice. Yeah. Um, she tells her, uh, if something was taken from you, take it back. 
Yeah, um, so, yeah, something was taken for you and it made you a counter coward, so just take it back. <laughs> like Yeah. Period. Like, exactly. I love that from Wakaba and she of course gets a kiss on the forehead for the way she helps Utena. Oh, it's so um, cute. I love like when we see Utena like the shift in her face where you like finally that's the first time she looks like Utena in this whole episode because that's when she like her face shifts and she's like <laughs> I'm, it must have hurt when I slapped you and I always think of like it must have hurt when you fell from heaven it's like a really bad like pickup line <laughs> it, must, it hurt didn't it when I slapped you like just like that's like that's our that's our Utena that's Wakaba's Utena mm-hmm. um and yeah like as Wakaba says not being normal is normal for you um and yeah and and Utena says I understand now this isn't normal for me and yeah, she gives her a little kiss. She's like, I'm going to take back who I was. And she, but first she has to go to Toga and find him kissing some random girl in the rose garden while Auntie waters the roses. And he asks Utena if they're still on for their date. And she says right now. And he thinks she means the date. Uh, but she's challenging him uh, to the duel. And Auntie has her back to them. So no one's watching Auntie's expression except us. But Auntie looks like shocked. Um, so again, this is another private moment that only we're privy to of Auntie re- reacting to hearing Utena challenge him to a rematch. Yes, and it's also interesting that Toga seems a little surprised too. Like, he seems caught off guard. Um, which is, like, I mean, that's very gratifying too to see him genuinely sort of surprised by something because he seems so in control of everything. Um, but yeah, like you said, this is the first time we're seeing Utena really be, really be herself. And honestly, I feel like this is the first time we've seen Utena really be Utena since the moment that Toga saved her. Mm-hmm. I feel like everything since then, she's been very beholden to that moment. Um, even when she, we had her like feeling very resolved at the end of the last episode, like I'm going to do this for Auntie, even that felt very, um, I don't know. She was almost saying it to like distract herself from the fact that she still was very bothered about that. And she still was very unsure. Like she was still thinking of Toga as her prince. Like she says, she's like, I don't care if he is my prince, whatever. Um, But now I feel like she genuinely, even if he is her prince, I don't think she cares at this point, like genuinely does not care. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas last time she was just saying that probably. (laughs) Um, And she has like a true resolve this time. I think uh, that's always a sort of interesting moment for our, for a hero of any kind. Um, but especially in the show where so many characters lie to themselves all the time, where we get that moment of what they think is their true resolve, but then they really have to actually hit <laughs> rock bottom to realize that actually it's, uh, you had the right spirit. Like I said, you just needed to really understand why you actually were doing what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's to get back her version of normal. Um, yeah, and speaking of normal, our shadow girls have a great segment that I think is pretty straightforward. So they're just saying, study normal subjects, find a normal job, fall in love normally, get married normally, have a normal family, have a normal life. But being normal has nothing to do with us. We're tired of doing all the things we've done until now. Time for us to get back to being what's normal for us. And then a UFO arrives and takes them away. So I this... Uh, being the, the the line being normal has nothing to do with us um, is always a line that stuck out with me and uh, for me in this show. Um, I think that's something any like queer person can like mm-hmm. relate to that idea of like this show really gets at the idea of like how like oppressive the idea of nor the 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 existence of normalcy in terms of like social norms can be um, because yeah like 
a girl like it is normal for a girl to wear a dress um by if you go by like very a very rigid idea of like gender expression and like what a girl is and what how a girl should perform gender um but you know that's very restrictive and you know if you, once and it's really freeing when you can recognize like that being normal has nothing to do with me and like that's you know that's not a bad thing and then it's freeing it can take you to a different world um you can get on a ufo and go away to another planet um once you recognize uh that you know you aren't beholden to normalcy absolutely i this i think there's a reason this gets I feel like this, like, um, the screen caps of this little Shadow Playgirls, like, segment gets, like, passed around, like, every once in a while, like, periodically. I think even, like, for by people who, like, have never seen the show, just because it is, like, a very powerful message, and it's very, like you said, freeing, I think, is the best word for it. Mm-hmm. And it's freeing for the characters and freeing, like, as a viewer to just think, yeah, like, Utena has no reason to be quote-unquote normal, whatever that means. Um, and... Yeah, I just, I just love. This is definitely my favorite Shadowplay Girls moment. Yeah, it's it's one of so my far. favorites. Yeah, it's absolutely. Just, it's so straightforward. Um, yeah. Really powerful. It is just a great way to sort of bring us into the this what is like functionally like a finale for this first section of the show, um, and I think um, it's I don't know I feel like going into this you believe in Utna, um, kind of in maybe in a new way that you. Um, maybe didn't before like even if you went into the last duel thinking she she could still pull it off i think um going into this you like know that like she has everything at her disposal that she needs to like actually win this time mm-hmm. um which is always just i don't know it's a good feeling it's a very like fuck yeah moment of like she's got it like we know our girl she's finally in the right headspace um and she's gonna go be a prince now yeah, the, the whole lead up to this duel kicks ass because as she's walking to the dueling forest and the song that's playing I, is I it's the, I think it's called to the battle castle. I listen to it while I work all the time. Um, <laughs> it just gets me hyped. Um, and she we see her first carrying jury sword and then we get a quick flash of jury giving it to her. It says you'll need it to properly set the last scene. This is referring back to when jury is like, you know, this isn't the end yet uh, when she's talking to Toga and so this is where I'm gonna go on my little rant about how much I love this so I know you kind of like took a you know interpretation of like Jerry in this episode maybe like a more pragmatic um of like I I really like what you were saying about like you know like well I can't be maybe can't be Toga but I can be Utana like and I think there can be multiple things happening here for Mm -hmm. sure um I think this is like such a meaningful gesture um for her to give her own sword to Utana uh to defeat Toga um after having told Toga about Utina's prince, um, because she kind of like exposed Utina's naivete to him, and he was able to weaponize that against that against her. And if you think about like the swords as extensions of a person's self, a person's will, a person's desire, it's like juries fighting Toga in this duel too. Um, with and if when you look at Toga, yes, Toga is Utina's prince. He's pretending to be Utina's prince in this moment, but we've also seen him be a prince to a lot of other people. He is like representative of the ideal of the prince, um, who's trying to impose the normal heteronormative order onto Utina. Um, it's really meaningful to have Jury, who is a lesbian, be the one to give her sword to Utina. Like it wouldn't have hit the same if Mickey gave his sword to Utina. Like, and the fact that Utina wins this duel 
not wearing her princess outfit. Um, the, she does not need the prince's power. And she beats Toga with the b- jury's broken sword is like really, really beautiful to me. Um, when you think about what that what that means. Absolutely. Yeah, I love and I love that she like it easily could have been like Mickey and Jury both like are like, yeah, kick his ass for us. But it is just Jury there. And she yeah, I think like I said, like, uh, I, I agree with you. I think your reading of it is like I love this idea of like Jury genuinely just would like to see even if it maybe is like a petty sort of emotion she just wants to see toga taken down like and that could be enough like <laughs> like um i i just like yeah i just love that she uses jury swords and it, and it's i love that that's a detail that they felt the need to give us like i feel like she could have gotten a sword from anywhere like it really doesn't matter like she could have just shown up with a sword and i don't think anyone would ever question well where did she get that um, but I love that they give us the answer right here, that it's it's Jury's sword, and Jury gave it to her willingly. Um, and I do think it's interesting, like you said, that it is broken by the end of the duel, too. Um, first of all, because I don't know, how's Jury going to take that? I uh, I don't know. It's a little it's a little <laughs> tacky on Uchin's part to, you know, return a broken... <laughs> like, a, she borrows this beautiful sword, and it's shattered by the end of it. Um, but yeah, it, it is lovely that... Like, she, the uniform just gets torn up. Um, and it's great, and not in a Bryce Dallas Howard wearing heels in Jurassic World. <laughs> like, yeah. Your references this episode are I know, so good. Just insanity. Um, in, like, a, yeah, weaponized femininity, like, very shallow sort of reading of it. Of, like, yeah, mm-hmm. you can be a girl, girl, wear girly things and still kick ass. Like, that's not what they're saying no. here at all. It's not that. It is she is there because she's just wearing it like that's just the uniform she had on for the day she's not gonna go home and get changed like who cares i'm here to kick toga's ass doesn't matter um and the fact that it gets like torn and shredded up is like it's gratifying to see that just like because you kind of want to see as much as you want to see toga taken down you want to see utana like get rid of this uniform it just does not suit her at all you want to see her back in her prince uniform by the end of this and so it's great that she is like just letting it get shredded like because it's like a final like we never get to have to see this uniform again on her again hopefully yeah Um, and like what's what i love like i'm so glad she fights this duel in the girl's uniform because she can win a duel wearing the prince's uniform but she wins this duel wearing the girl's uniform and so her power does not lie in the prince either it lies in herself it doesn't matter what clothes she's wearing mm-hmm. um and so it's more like it's, it's yeah it's not like a girl girl boss like oh <laughs> you know girls can win a duel too no it's it's her power like her ability to win this duel isn't yet tied up in being a prince or not it's herself and it doesn't matter what clothes she's wearing in this moment and yeah, again, and the fact that like she's du- dueling to take back herself, um, and again, just using Jury's sword to do that, um, you know, again, it's just very, you know, this duel is, you know, she wants to win and win back Anthe, but she's also wanting to win back herself. That's what Toga's like. Oh, you want to? He like he knows exactly what she's doing. Yeah. Again, and, Toga very aware of everything. Yeah, really. Toga and Nanami in both of their uh, their duels have been very aware of like why they're dueling, and and Toga in this episode, Toga is just very aware in general. General, uh, he he like is very aware of why he's dueling because he wants power. He wants he wants to beat Utena. He wants to possess Anthe because you know he uh, he fancies himself 
uh, a prince, but not because he actually wants to be a prince, but because he likes the kind of power and control that gives him. Sorry, John Luke's snoring. So <laughs> hearing it, it's very cute. Um, so he tells Amthi to abandon her body and protect the sword, and she like leans down and touches it. Um, again, if you're reading it as a potential like phallic symbol you could read a lot into this i I like again i try i pretend i do not see it personally again i'm not super into reading it like that but toga i think reads it as that i think that's the important part i think for toga it is that and i think the framing of the shot of like when it's when Athi's down like like uh she like kisses or whatever like the fact that like uta like looks away as if it's like a very vulgar sort of moment i think is like yeah, like that's just like for Toga, it, it is this extension of his masculinity in particular, and like as like as trite as like you said, as trite as that reading of a sword is, that is genuinely I think how you should be reading it, and I think um, that yeah, I mean it doesn't make it any less terrifying and gross, and it makes you feel icky. Like that's I think the you should feel awful. You should feel like Utena in that moment. You don't even want to look at what's happening because it just feels so degrading for, like, I mean, he tells her to abandon her body. Like, that's mm-hmm. such a horrible, gross thing to say to someone. Um, but, and then, it, but then it gets all sparkly and shiny. Yeah, it and, glows, it yeah. flashes, and he says, this is the power of the Rose Bride of Dios. So we don't, we've been, the, the roads, these words Rose Bride and the word Dios has been thrown a lot about, about a lot, but this is, I think, the first time where it's like, this is like the Rose Bride is Dios's Rose Bride. We still don't know who Dios is. We still don't really know everything about what that means. But it's worth noting that like they're being explicitly connected in a way that they hadn't been before. And that like Anthe is able to give the sword even more power. And he's kind of like taunts Utna about like not knowing about this. He's like, oh, you you had this sword all this time and you weren't able to access this power. Um, and then we get more on Thee's perspective in this duel because we get hear her thoughts. Um, she says, she can't defeat Master Toga's sword. I pity her. I wonder if it will end quickly. Um, and then we get him cutting at the uniform and then cutting Jury's sword in half. Um, and then he's going on and on about the sword's power. He's like, you were a prince and you didn't even know about this, you fucking loser. <laughs> and on Thee's thoughts, there's something strange about Miss Tenju. She could die. Why does she fight on? And says it's over but i've seen this before i know what this is this is just like what happened that time and she Anthe has like a flash like the, the flash of the prince flashes over Anthe's face in this moment and the sword of dios the power of op like the 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 power of the, the that was in the sword of dios disappears as Anthe sheds a tear Yes. <laughs> so there's a lot going on here with Anthe's thoughts and the way the duel changes. Right. Yeah, the tears, I think, especially, it's a very striking image, especially, I don't, I don't, we've never seen Anthe cry. I don't yeah, think I don't think all. so. But they, Certainly they, not in the dueling arena. No. And um, they don't, they're not like tears of sadness. They're like, awe. like I feel like the, the genuine meaning of the word awesome, like that's what's happening right now. She like is experiencing something very intense um is like just blown away by utna as a person um she like like you said she starts out very like whatever like i this will probably be over quickly why is she doing this but then she's like starting to think like why is she keep like she keeps going what is going on Mm -hmm. 
Um, and I, again, I love that we, I don't know, like, have we, I feel like we've maybe only ever heard, like, Utena's inner thoughts, inner monologue. Yeah. Um, and so it's, in, it's very noteworthy that, like, uh, I feel like for the most part, a lot of the, like, the characters, like, just speak out loud. And that's how we get a lot of information. It's very rare for us to just hear thoughts from people. Um, so I love that we get to hear Auntie's thoughts here, especially. Um, and it also makes you start to wonder what was she, what has she been thinking in the other duels before? Yeah. Because um, I feel like um, I love that in the first episode of these two, the, we get a lot of like camera focus on Auntie, but we don't hear anything from her. Mm-hmm. And then this time it's like kind of like a replay of like, okay, but this time let's hear what she actually is, like feels about this situation. Um, and almost makes you wonder, was she, like, scared for, like, Utsuna last time? Like, I don't know. It's just, it's cool that we get we, to Yeah, to we hear. could, we could, like, <laughs> try to trace back everything. Like, oh, yeah, Anthea is such, like, a fascinating character to try to read. And, and when we do get these glimpses into her, yeah, it's like, what? God, yeah, what was she thinking before? Mm-hmm. And, um, Yeah, I, I think it's interesting, though, that it's, like, um, the, the power of Dios leaves the sword. Because mm-hmm. I think even if the prince doesn't appear... It's almost like he or whatever, whoever is like sort of like overseeing all this stuff has kind of made their decision in that moment mm-hmm. of Utna. Like they, the whatever is controlling or whatever is sort of powering all this sides with Utna in this moment, or at least doesn't side with Toga. Um, and Utna, she power she beats him with a broken sword with jerry's broken sword i'm lesbian as i am going to like hammer this out (laughs) i'm this is announcement to our listeners i am planning on getting a second utina tattoo and i'm gonna i'm getting i'm gonna get jerry's sword after i move but i think this the sword imagery on the show is obviously very loaded but because of this it's because of the context in which she gives the sword to utina that i like really want it um, and I've always wanted a sword tattoo. Like I was like, I, I've always planned a gay sword tattoo. It's like I might as well get a new Tina tattoo. Um, I might as well get Jerry's sword, which is cool as hell. And I love this. I, I just yeah, her giving the sword to Tina kicks ass. Um, but yeah, she wins with with Jerry's broken sword and a torn up girl's uniform. Um, she's able to defeat the great Toga, the great prince of the student council. And she says, "I've taken back who I who I was." And Auntie's eyes are still filled filled with tears as Toga kneels on the ground. And the dual song for this is um, gets a lot about so there's like about nothingness and anything. Um, like it's like no one has anything to say, but that's there's the possibility to be anyone and to be anything. Um, lots of like ancient continental theater. Uh, there's a reference to the Galactic Railroad, which is like a Japanese yep. like. Yeah, are you familiar? Because I looked it up, but I didn't. I didn't yeah. know like if there was meaning to withdraw from that. I mean, that is significant for um, Ikuhara because uh, Penguin Drum is based pretty directly on that story. Um, mm. And there is a there's a cute, very adorable adaptation of that story with uh, cartoon cats um, that has been done before. I highly recommend that watching that movie. Um, but yeah, uh, I Galactic Railroad. I mean, instantly I think of Penguin Drum. It's very much based on that. Um, but it's basically about the afterlife is what that story is about. Um, so, I, it, again, I feel like that's a major theme in all, a lot of the Dueling songs is the afterlife, rebirth, death, all that good stuff. Yeah, and, and all the it, cats. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but yeah, there's it's, it's this song again feels like it doesn't feel as pre- we can pull as much any particulars like to the characters, but it's just getting at themes of like again theater, um, you know, memory, the past, um, lightness and darkness, and also kind of like the like it's like about a flash and it's born, a flash and it fades, like and how the again kind of gets like the changing of things and the passing of time, and of course. Um, also the stars, um, which I think we've we've gotten some of those before, and um, I think stars will continue to be something we want to look out for. Um, so yeah, something I, we had I hadn't mentioned, and I know this episode's so long, but I wanted to like mention it because I've been meaning to mention it is that I learned recently that most of these dual songs like existed before the show. So so the like, J. Caesar like you can listen to demos of like these songs like before Utena like from like the 80s or like the early 90s. Uh. Like you can like and so like it's that's something interesting like some of them are so perfect um for certain characters but they like were written well before the show was even conceived. And so I don't know if that's the case for all of them but I had seen someone uh linked in the empty movement discord um some of these demos that made me kind of think about like even though that the a lot of these songs if not all of them were written before the show it is interesting to try to look at them within the context of the show and pull meaning out of them because even if there was an intended meaning with the show they were used for a reason um in these specific duels for a reason absolutely nah nah it's all just random yeah, it's all random yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah through arrows um, at an apple yes exactly um so yeah uh Utna has won um and we the final scene of this episode and of this arc is just a direct mirror to the ending of our first episode mm-hmm. um and but it feels like i don't know i feel like both uh Anthi and Utna. i mean Utna obviously shows it a lot more a lot has changed over these last 12 episodes for Utna, but i think you know, a lot has changed for Anthe too, even though it may not seem like it. Um, I think she starts to go into like kind of the same exact spiel that she did in yeah, that first she's episode. Yeah, like, she's like she repeats her lines, and Uta's like, "No, it's fine. Like, I get she, it." <laughs> yeah, she cuts her off. She's like, "I've heard it before. Let's just go home." Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that's such it's such a contrast to. I have no idea what just happened. I'm gonna yeah. forget about this. <laughs> Whatever, and she knows. The, she knows what just happened. She knows what she just did, and she's. I I hope she's proud of herself because I'm proud of her. Um, and she's just ready to go home, um, with her bestest gal pal and their little uh, pet monkey friend. Um, and that is, uh, the first arc of Utsuna. I would say, yeah. unless we're counting, and I don't know how people count episode 13 whether they assign it to one or the other but i think this is like the ending of a chapter of the story I would yeah, say. yeah this next episode usually gets thrown under this arc but i like i think i feel like it's you know it's more like kind of a transition um into the next episode into the next arc but yeah we're done with this the the student council arc of the show um and we'll kind of do our recap of that arc when we do our recap ap- episode um but do you have any other thoughts on these two episodes um, not much other than this is a really fantastic um, finale, if we're going to use that parlance for that. Um, and I think, you know, if you're like a first time viewer, I feel like I would hope maybe I would hope that you were on board by the time you at least got to like the jury episode 
But I feel like once you've, like, finished this arc, I would hope you are intrigued and have sort of developed an attachment to at least a good chunk of these characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is a really fantastic just string of episodes of television. Um Kudos to literally everyone you've knit listed off before every episode. <laughs> this is just a really great um, introduction, and I don't think I only speak for myself when I say it only gets better from here. Yeah, honey, we've got a big storm coming. We've got so much going on. I know Derek and I both love the second arc of this show. Um, <laughs> I get like ready. That. <laughs> if you thought this, these first 12 episodes, oh, baby, yeah. <laughs> Get ready for every episode of this podcast to be three hours long. (laughs) (laughs) But we'll restrain ourselves. But um, yeah, I can't believe we're already done with the first arc. This is flying by. uh, But, you know, we're we've got so much great stuff coming up. And this is really when you finish the whole show and you go back, you really think of these as like this is setting the table for everything. We finished the first arc of the show. It's like, okay, now we can really get into it, Um, even though so much has happened. But um. I'm so excited, and yeah, we've got lots of good stuff coming. So yeah, next episode will be uh will be so you sh- again don't skip the recap episode, um never skip the recap episodes of Utena. So we will be discussing for at least part of it, um episode thirteen tracing a path. Uh, but since there is a lot of reused footage, it that would be a shorter episode. So we'll be tacking on kind of some questions we'll answer questions from our viewers so if viewers our listeners if anyone's <laughs> watching us i'm concerned um with their opera glasses yeah with their opera glasses so send those in if you have them but yeah make sure you watch the next episode and engage with it it is important um and next time you hear from us i will be in canada we will be an international podcast whoa um so you're starting in the next era of our podcast um in a new country for me um yeah so derek do you can you tell the people where to find you yeah uh, you can find me at rain derek's on twitter and you can find uh me on literature's pod we just i mean speaking of finales we just wrapped up book one of cora um and we'll be taking a little bit of a hiatus until survivor 41 starts back up um but in the meantime i'm sure either my co-host sam or i will be Posting all the juiciest uh, Avatar, Korra, Survivor, etc. memes we can <laughs> on our Twitter account, Bitterger's Pod, <laughs> on Twitter and Instagram. Well, what about you, Christine? Uh, yeah, you can follow me at xteen underscore files on Twitter. And if you like Survivor, you can uh, read my rating on Inside Survivor. And yeah, and again, I moved to Canada. So if you live in Montreal and want to be my friend, hit me up. Um, and yeah, that's it. I'm... Oh, so happy we're doing this podcast and this is our longest episode but we have an excuse this time this is two episodes instead of when we talked about jury for an hour and a half <laughs> <laughs> which also was totally justifiable I'm- also totally justified um so yeah we'll be back next week for y'all we won't be recording for a couple weeks we're getting these in the can um but if you hear from me in the next episode you'll know i made it to canada safely so Oh, yeah. Um, Thank you, Christine, so much for starting this journey with me. Thank you all for going on this journey with us. Um, Yeah. See you guys next week in podcast time. Yeah. Bye. Bye. (laughs)